Oscar, where's 1049 Park Avenue? This is 1049 Park Avenue! Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? Hello, and welcome to 1049 Park Avenue, an odd couple podcast. Ted Linhart, Garrett Eisler, here today to talk about season five, episode 17, The Rent Strike, which is not available on Paramount Plus um, and aired January 31st, 1975. Before we talk about the episode, I don't know if you read this in, in the papers. Oscar, uh, Oscar Garrett. <laughs> yes, Felix. That uh, the Library of Congress has acquired the Neil Simon Archive. Yes, I did see that, and I believe they they mentioned that you know, if not all, at least several of his there are scripts for several of his plays, if not all, and including the Odd Couple. And I do know that the Odd Couple play went through uh, some rewrites when it was uh, out of an out of town tryout, free Broadway tryout. Uh, Neil Simon writes about this in his memoir about like they couldn't solve Act Three, and uh, the idea to bring back the Pigeon Sisters at the end of the play, which if you if you know the movie, the fact that Felix moves in with the Pigeon Sisters, that was kind of Mike. I think he said it was Mike Nichols' idea who directed the play. So I'm going to read. Anyway, so gonna... there are probably various. There might be different drafts. I'd be that was what I, my first thought is to see if there are different drafts of the Odd Couple there. I'm just going to read a little bit from the New York Times. More than a dozen notepads filled with drawings, cartoons, and caricatures by Simon, who died in 2018, was just one of the surprising discoveries made by this archivist in the trove of approximately 7,700 of the playwright's manuscripts and papers and even eyeglasses, a collection that the library announced Monday, today is Sunday as we record this, so this week, donated by Simon's widow, the actress Elaine Joyce. An event on Monday at the library in Washington will stream on live on its YouTube channel, 7 p.m. This we can oh. go watch now. I It's Come there. On. No, no, oh, this was last yeah. Monday. Yeah, it already aired. Because a conversation with Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker, who are in Plaza Suite, as well as remarks by Joyce. Collection includes hundreds of scripts, notes, and outlines for Simon's plays, including handwritten first drafts and multiple drafts of typescripts, often annotated as well as handwritten letters to luminaries like August Wilson. There are more than a dozen scripts, sometimes many more, for some of his most celebrated shows, including Brighton Beach Memoirs, The Odd Couple, and Lost in Yonkers. So, yeah, that would be uh, an interesting thing to, if it's, I guess it's somehow able to... uh, I predict that The Odd Couple will be the script that is most requested. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Because, just because of the huge fan base. Because of this podcast. Because of this podcast. All yeah. of our listeners, watch out, Library of Congress. You're about to be besieged. Uh, so who wrote this episode? Oh, this episode. Well, not Neil Simon. Um, actually, this is a, a totally new writer, which has happened a few times, I noticed, in either the ones we've already talked about or ones coming up. But season five, you know, even though it was the season was, the show was winding down, uh, it kind of makes sense, I guess. You know, they, they still needed scripts and their old writers might have been busy and they turned to some new writers although not this writer is not necessarily a younger writer his name i should say is uh martin ragway i believe that's how it's pronounced r-a-g-a-w-a-y 
and he is uh, was already in his 50s by this time and had was a real veteran of sort of more so comedy writing than sitcom writing he wrote television shows for a lot of big comedians starting with red skelton uh jerry lewis i didn't know jerry lewis had a tv show in the late 60s it was a well if if it's the one yeah it was a huge bomb by the way you know how we talked about super train a few weeks ago yes super train right the biggest bomb jerry lewis uh, until Super Train, <laughs> Jerry Lewis's variety show is considered the wow. biggest flop in TV history. I did not know that. I remember, not to be confused with, he did, after King of Comedy came out, he did a kind of tonight late night talk show. He briefly did? In the early 80s. Yes. Where did that uh, air? And uh, it was on something. Uh, it was, I mean, it was probably on, you know, one of the alternate, what was, I think what was to become Fox. It was on Channel 5, I think. Uh and I think it was trying to capitalize on his playing a late night talk show host on King of Comedy. So, but I, I'm sure it, his first guest was Frank Sinatra. Biggie, got a big get on the first show. Charlie Callis was his sidekick. Uh, this says, uh, oh, it was a final version aired in first run syndication for one week in June of 1984. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> one week. I guess they... Was, was there more? Maybe, maybe that have been more than one episode. Oh, I see what happened here. Yeah. This was the Alan Thick show, Thick of the Night. Oh. And they canceled it in June of 84. They needed a replacement program. Oh. And they gave Lewis an on-air tryout for one I week. See. Okay. And right. Charlie, Charlie Callis was his sidekick. I said that, yeah. Oh, sorry, you said that. And then they decided not to do it. I, wow. I... <clears throat> The fact that you know that and don't know Super Train <laughs> is amazing to me. Well, I guess it shows. I guess you were alive in 1967, and uh, and I wasn't. Uh, well, no, no, no. Uh, no, Super Train was, was, was no. Oh, we were both alive. We're the same age, 78, 79. Okay. No, I I completely missed that that. that I only happened. know this because I watched it. I remember watching it with my father on TV, <laughs> and I remember and I was aware of the King of Comedy movie, but and the, the connection to it, King of. King Comedy movies wasn't that years or it was like three years? No, no, just two, a, maybe two, year, two years. Yeah. Oh, I don't wow. know. Anyway, but you know what? That actually that show, my bad. That show has nothing to do with with the odd couple of what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> but it is a really fascinating bit of live history that I'm glad you cleared up for me. I never understood what the hell that show was. Um, I just also want to add that our friend here, Martin Rag Ragaway, also wrote for several of the Dean Martin roasts. Uh, throughout the 70s, including one roasting Jack Klugman. So I, I was not aware on, that he was on Dean Martin Roastee. On Thanksgiving Day this past year, hmm. decades, I believe, as you just mentioned, oh, I don't know, did you mention that on the air or what before? Not we on the air. Oh, yeah. uh, well, you've mentioned decades. Decades Television ran a marathon of, of, all, of many roasts. Like there must have been hmm. 20 or 30. And I saw and saw them all. Um, and I saw the Klugman one. Wow. Oh, so that's that is extant, as we say. Oh, yeah. Uh, extant means existent. What is it? <laughs> yeah, it means it, yes. it actually is watchable. It's, oh, it's it, very it's watchable. There. Yeah. And I'd like to say the funniest person, the two funniest people on those roles. I know we're off on tangents here, but I think that's fine. One, Orson Welles, who you would <laughs> never think, but the way he delivers. And two, the famous drunk character. Foster Brooks. Foster Brooks, thank you, <laughs> who I knew of, but I was so every role I, I watched 
all the roasts. I must wow. have watched 23 of them, primarily to see those two people. Foster Brooks was fantastic. Wow. You know, I'll have to look for it on decades or else I guess I'll have to like, if only there was a way to watch the Dean Martin roast that didn't involve uh, ordering the entire set from that uh, infomercial that is that. Is yeah, that's still, still around. I bet. But I think <laughs> many of the you could find them on YouTube. I have a feeling okay. a lot are on YouTube. Okay. They're great. Yeah, I, I watched those uh, growing up and they were great. I, but I, I didn't know about the Klugman one, so. Oh, are you done? A lot, of a lot of Quincy jokes on that, I suppose. Uh, I think this is pre-Quincy. This is still odd. <laughs> oh, really? oh, no, no. Well, I it's can't remember what year. So. Okay, then you're right. Then it's Quincy. Yeah. 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 Um, are, you, are you done with your writer's intro? Yeah. So he's an interesting writer. This is the only odd couple. He only. Uh, what did he do uh, after the odd couple? Uh, not uh, continued one-offs on several sitcoms, uh, but still wrote for the D. Martin Rose. He wrote what seems like, I didn't know, Billy Crystal had a, his first television special show was in 1982. Is that after Soap, I go? Yeah. So the, there was the Billy Crystal Comedy Hour in 1982. Short-lived. All right. Uh, oh. And then he, he unfortunately passed away in uh, 1989. So the first scene of this episode, we see a plane landing, uh, and what based off. This again? Were you kidding? Yes, you're kidding. The markings appear to be. Uh, you not... in, uh, this is the rent strike. I don't. Do you say the rent strike? Yeah, didn't I? Okay. Okay. If I didn't, I'm sorry. I believe you. That's all right. All right. Uh, the rent strike, season five, episode seventeen, aired January thirty first, nineteen seventy five. We see a plane land. It's a United Airlines plane. It doesn't matter, but I saw the markings. Then we see a cab pull up in front of 1049 Park Avenue or whatever standing in for 1049 Park Avenue. Uh, and we see Felix inside the cab. I feel like this shot may have been used before. Did you think of that? When well, you saw I, did, I did not pay much attention to it, but it, the, it's important to note that this is specific. Did he have, but do you see just him or do you see his luggage? No, you, you just see him in the cab. You don't okay. see him get out. Of so it could have been reused. Yeah. We pan up to the apartment. Inside, we see Oscar typing it at his... I just realized I wrote in my notes. We see Oscar typing at his computer, is what I wrote. <laughs> well, again, he is pioneering the laptop typewriter. <laughs> uh, he's typing at his typewriter on his bed in his bedroom. We hear Felix call Oscar's name. <clears throat> Oscar says, here. Felix says, where? Oscar says, in my room here. Felix comes in, panting, holding his luggage. Oscar says, what did you do? Run home from Baltimore? Felix says, the elevator's broken. Oscar says, yeah, I know. Felix, you've got a mark on your neck. What is that? Felix says, I just climbed 11 flights of stairs, 176 steps, with two suitcases. He plops down on one of the suitcases and explains, oh. Oscar says, you always overpack. Oscar examines the mark on Felix's neck and says, looks like a hickey to me, buddy. Is that a hickey? What is that? <laughs> Felix says, oh, Miriam met me at the airport. She was so glad to. How long has the elevator been busted? Oscar says about four days. She gave you a hickey like that, Miriam, at the airport? Felix says four days. You've been climbing those steps for four days. How do you stand it? Oscar says, I stayed inside. I wish I had a girl who would give me a hickey right now. I'll tell you that, boy. Then we have a visual gag where we see Oscar's closet. And inside the closet is a dartboard that has a sub sandwich stuck to it by a dart, which is funny. And the audience really enjoys it. Oscar moves it, starts eating it and says, Felix, Felix says, look at that, a sandwich on his dartboard. Then Oscar takes out a beer from what I think is a laundry bag, but I, it's hard to tell exactly what it is. Felix points out that there's a 
beer out of there's a beer. Oscar says, that's why I don't have to go outside until the elevator is fixed. I eat, I phone in my column, and then I sleep. See, he's doing remote work from home. Already. Right. Yeah. 1974. Felix says, well, I'm not going to let this building make a her hermit out of me. We've got to do something about that. Oscar says, don't go on one of your crazy crusades now. And Felix says, well, today it's an elevator, tomorrow a slum. The building, this building has been going straight downhill ever since we got that new manager, that Mr. Lovelace. Oscar says, oh, cut it out, will you? I'm very content here now. Felix says, I'm serious. Oscar says, so am I. Felix says, we've got to do something about this building. Our front door squeaks. The bathroom tiles are loose. The air conditioner blows off air. Oscar says, so do you. Now, will you cut it out, please? Now, this building is in great condition. Oscar says this while he's getting off the bed. Then we hear a creaking noise, and then we see concrete fall onto the bed, <laughs> <coughs> leaving a hole in the ceiling. Felix looks, in, looks up into it and says, hello, Mrs. Gossert, house tricks. <laughs> now, if a ceiling really collapsed in a building, A, you call the Department of Buildings, there'd be people there have to work on it. This is kind of ignored. And this is the most serious of all the things that happen. <laughs> well, and yeah, I suppose um, uh, it, we don't hear more about this in the coming days, but the show, obviously this episode takes place at least over a few days. And presumably this upstairs neighbor can look into Oscar's bedroom at any time. Yeah. This is like, you know, Florida condo situation. <laughs> right. Level it would be a little more serious. Yes. Uh, even the terrible landlord would have to do something uh, about, about that. And he's not the landlord. He's the manager. Oh, I'm sorry. The manager. Right. Right. Um, you know, um, they did the same joke with the bet with Felix burned. Yeah, Felix Oscar. Oscar Burn Felix is dead. Right? Yes, right. And there, when Oscar Felix looks down and says, "Hello, Mrs. So and So," yeah, I think he. You're not supposed to think he's serious. After the credits, Oscar's lying on the couch in the living room. He's got a newspaper over his head, snoring, and then faintly in the background, for the third time, we hear Felix singing "Buckle Down, Winsaki," which is the now second. That's funny, right? So the, we, what were the other two times? The, the, in the Monks, in the Monk episode. Right. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the other episode now, do you? We've talked they about it twice. It. Well, okay. They reference. Oh. Felix says one of his, he has two records. One is Buckle. Oh, okay. So this is the second time I've heard it Buckle. sung. And the third time it's but been But you may be, now I'm thinking, I, I can't place it. I remember, I remember discussing it in a prior episode and you right. saying that's the song they sang in the monk episode. Right. So right. I, well, there is that reference. To it. Yeah. Okay. So um, maybe it's the second it's a football song. So we assume it's one of Oscars, but you know, that would be a great uh, odd couple pub night uh, trivia question. Well, one of the things I'm going to recommend we do after we're done episodes is Ooh. you and I do trivia to each other. Oh, interesting. Well, I just gave away. Right. right. Well, you can't use that one now. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to play the clip after, as we hear this, start to happen.
So in that clip, Felix marches in with about 10 tenants, including Miriam. And the the crowd goes wild. They do. We see in the crowd uh, one familiar face, Ed Peck, in his third odd couple. He was in the Monks episode, The Flying Felix. Also singing uh, uh, Buckle Down Winsaki in the Monks episode. Oh, right. That's right. Uh, we finally see Miriam hearing that Felix is not really <laughs> considering yes. her a steady girlfriend. Yeah, so this is interesting. So, right, when now I had very little memory of this episode, I have to say. I should say that up front, that this was an interesting experience because I knew of it. I recognized what the plot was. I had a feeling about the conclusion, about the climax of it. But I really do not remember the details of this at all. So, um, so w- when in the beginning, when he talks about the hickey, I said, well, that's interesting. Wow. So they're finally deciding to let, you know, Miriam and Felix get hot and heavy, you know. <laughs> and then this happened. I said, oh, well, that even makes more sense. Like, they're finally right. As you said, they're finally acknowledging that, uh, that uh, Felix uh, has a bit of a wandering eye. And the next scene... We see an office with many flowers in it and plants, and we pan across. Felix walks in and says, Mr. Lovelace? No, Mr. Lovelace. He closes the door, and he looks at all the plants and says, no wonder the rest of us don't have water. Then Mr. Lovelace comes out and says, here I am, and it's Victor Buono making his second appearance on the show. He has a big white beard, but he's 37. That's how old he is. get over that. That's amazing. (laughs) I wonder if that really was that his hair turned that white. Um, He gets applause, which we'll hear now as we play the second clip. And uh, uh, I'm sorry sorry I took so long, my darling. Oh, that's all right. (laughs) Oh, hunger. I didn't know there was a human in the room. 
whom are you talking to? The gang. Oh. I've heard that's a very good idea, talking to plants. Mm. How long have you been doing that? Oh, for years. Uh-huh. Except for last month, we had a little falling out. <laughs> that's all patched out now. I stepped out of line, baby. <laughs> well, Mr. Lovelace, can we get down to cases? The housing board mentioned some repairs. Hmm. And? I'm raising the rent, $25 a month. You are what? Don't raise your voice in front of the plants. Don't let him upset you. The commissioner ruled that because of all the improvements I've made, I am entitled to a rent raise. What improvements? The welcome mats, for one. Big deal, welcome mats. And also, I painted the lobby, I bought the doorman a new uniform, I redecorated my office, lots and lots of things. What about our leaky pipes? What about our broken windows? What about the cigarette butts in the elevator? What about our squeaking door? I've got them on my list, but first things first. What comes first? The rent. (laughs) Mr. Lovelace, I've been having a certain amount of difficulty holding the tenants in check. When they hear about this, the fur is really going to fly. Yeah. (laughs) What can they do about it? How does a rent strike grab you? (laughs) You hear that? (laughs) You call a rent strike and I'll cut off all services. You cut off all services ages ago. You're a troublemaker, Unger. And darn proud of it. This country was founded by troublemakers. Millions for defense. Not one cent for tribute. We're going to win this fight. So that that's where the scene ends on the DVD, but uh, there is a music edit there, uh, oh. thanks to our friend Lee and Edward who uh, have helped us track this down. So here's how that scene ends uh, on the TV version, um, with the music played back in. Oh. He's a nut. <laughs> Now, raindrops keep falling on my head, but that's not the reason that my eyes are turning red. So, because of those two seconds One, of raindrops, two lines, two uh, lines from the song. And that was, though, definitely a very current song, pop song at the moment. Oh, because it's isn't it from Midnight but, Cowboy? Midnight Cowboy. Um, uh, in the scene, if you hear kind of a spraying noise, it's because Lovelace is spraying his flowers from a water bottle. He's having a great time, Victor Bono. Uh, one thing I want to point out, I, this is probably not, this is probably a coincidence, but the character name of Lovelace, Victor Bono, Lovelace. 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 Well, I said it that way for a reason, mm-hmm. Lovelace. Victor Bono had three, was on Wild Wild West three times playing Count Manseppi. The main villain on that show who recurred multiple times was Michael Dunn playing Miguelito Lovelace. So I wonder, although I feel like its chances are not true, if somehow calling him Lovelace is a tribute to the Wild Wild West. But that wasn't the character he played in Wild Wild West. No, which makes it less likely but maybe calling him some sort but of... But if he was so associated, if you're saying he was so associated yes, with that show. Yes, I yeah. think maybe, I don't know at the time he was, but, you know, he never really... 
broke out like I think he was expected to. Such a strange, sad story, right? I mean, he well, he had a few like big breakthroughs. I guess one was that movie, uh, whatever. Whatever happened, Baby, Jane. Baby Jane was like right. his biggest thing, and then he was but King he, Tut. I could before we looked him up. I mean, it's like we couldn't believe he was that young, and then he died. And right, so he I, had a, a few big character roles and stuff, and. I think he's most famous besides Baby Jane on TV. He's most famous for King Tut on Batman. We probably mentioned oh, right. this last time, and then maybe on Wild Wild West, which didn't really syndicate nearly as well as Batman. Yeah. Um, and he and, and the Odd Couple is probably the next in line, if not higher up than Wild Wild West. But I, I just it always struck me as like that's such a close name, and who knows? I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they cast him and then. Oh. Like, did they did they create this part and then cast him, or yeah. was he cast and then they created the part for him? I wonder. And we don't know. Don't. Okay. Uh, so the next scene um, we see a very snowy day in New York City with snow plows, and this is setting up the fact that it's winter and it's cold inside the living room. Which it was when the episode aired. Aired right, January right. It's right. Inside the living room, the same group who was marched in earlier are standing around with Felix. They are all wearing coats and hats and gloves and scarves. We hear the character played by Ed Peck, Mr. Ralston, say, we've been singing all day. And we hear a woman say, how long are we supposed to go on like this? Felix says, folks, Lovelace is scared. This rent strike is going to work. Look, he turned off the heat. So what? He turned off our water. So what? We're going to go over his head. By the way, before I go on, I wanted I meant to ask you a question before. Felix says millions for defense, not one cent for tribute. I didn't Google that. Is that a saying oh, I'm supposed to know? Uh, I never heard of it. Okay. Um, someone should Google it. I guess I could Google it later for my own interest. Okay. Walston says, yeah, but how? Nobody even knows who owns the building. Felix is right, and that's why I called an Officer Greshler. He's my chief bloodhound. We're counting on you, Officer Greshler. Murray says, you can keep on counting, Felix. Felix says, we want you to find out who the owner of the building is. And Murray says, want to give me a description of the man? Felix <laughs> says, if I knew what he looked like, I'd know who he is. And Murray says, another blind alley. And he walks out. <laughs> Felix says, folks, go back to your apartment. Go in good cheer. Go in confidence. We're going to win. Miriam asks if they're doing the right thing. And she says, she's freezing. Felix says they are and that she is not freezing, which is a little mansplaining to Miriam. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then she says she is. Which he's in no position to do. Felix says, you mean he's in no position to do? Yes. That's yeah. Felix <laughs> says, remember Valley Forge. Nobody's cold. Nobody's suffering. We can stand it. We're fine. Now Oscar comes out wearing a blanket and he's holding boxing gloves <laughs> over his ears, which is a funny visual that the audience really likes. And that leads to this scene. <laughs> turned off the heat. Yes, Isn't I'm... that great? He's scared. Yeah, I'm scared too. I'm scared stiff. Phoenix, my room is freezing. Well, good. He thinks fresh in there. <laughs> Phoenix, you see that? Yeah. Well, when that defrosts enough to make a fist, you better get out of my sight. <laughs> what are you doing? Let me have 20 minutes at 3.50, then turn me over, okay? <laughs> oh, shit. Yes, yes, come in. We're here for the 
door, Mr. Unger. Ah, it's all yours. Oscar! Uh, come here! What? We have won. Should we give a seat? I'm going to call your newspaper. Well, if I were you, I'd wait for the next edition. What are you doing? Oh, Lovelace told us to take away your door. Uh, nothing personal, Mr. Unger. I hope you won't hold this against us at Christmas time. <laughs> Mr. Fafner, come back here. You, you can't take our door. Bring back my door. What about Christmas? Where are we going to hang a wreath? <laughs> you see what he did? He fixed the squeak. We're, we're utterly defenseless. We'll have to stand guard. Any cook could walk right in. somebody in show business. Now, I can't divulge who it is until all the facts are in. Uh-huh. Just, just tell us his name. Well, that's one of the facts that isn't in yet. <laughs> but I'm working on it. Murray? Yeah, yeah, Oscar. Don't you want to know what happened to our door? I can only work on one case at a time. Uh, a lot of visuals in there. Uh, Oscar puts his head in the oven to get warm. Herbie Fay returns... Yeah, which as- no one seems concerned about. Putting your head in the oven. But anyway. Herbie Faye returns as the super, now called yes. Mr. Fafner. I think he Fafner was one of the other names they used. Uh, I, I, I gotta I, go check that. Okay. Uh he he removes the door from the apartment, leaving it wide open. He has a helper who play he is played by the tall African American man we've seen before in both of the two baby episodes. Is the ambulance driver. Uh-huh. In the season right. two baby episode, and he's a hot hospital orderly when Gloria's right. and he's Howard Cosell's. Uh, oh, so, that's right. Yeah, the, that he ca- uh, he calls him Muhammad. Muhammad, yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, about Herbie, I just want to—I mean, whatever his name, whenever whatever they decide to call him, any episode, he is—it's just notable. He has been the super since yeah. season one. Yeah, which makes him, if we just accept that his name his name is irrelevant that he's the same character makes him one of the few character persistent characters through all five seasons he's uh, a- not rec- not recognizing that i mean along with murray would be the main one and then to a lesser extent speed and Vinny. uh but um super herbie fay is like goes back to season one in the blackout but i'm just noticing his other odd he's been in some others as other characters but he has been in every season, at least one episode every season. He's like the Pat Harrington Jr. of the Odd Couple. You don't Will get you that. you talk about Pat Harrington Jr. in what show? One Day at a Time. Wasn't he? Oh, he, he was, was the, the super in that the show. Super, right. That's what I'm saying. But he yeah. clearly was identified. He was a major, yes, was I, a major that, guy. Yeah, I, that's my, that's my, I'm I call, it's Got a super it. reference. Got it. Um, now, when Mr. Fafner says, I hope this doesn't hurt us at Christmas time. And then Felix, in a clearly dubbed in line, says, what about Christmas? I always found it clunky that there's a Christmas for time reference. And then Felix mentions Christmas as if no one else had just said Christmas. But what well, is Felix that line? Because he, he says, where are we going to hang a wreath? So he's saying, how are we going to hang a wreath at Christmas? Oh. And the wreath, clearly it sounded like, Either the Christmas saying 
he's expecting a tip. Like right. Kind of stuff. But if someone said to me, if the super said to me, don't forget at Christmas time, and I wanted to make a reference to Reef, I would say, Christmas, what about our wreath at Christmas? Referring right. to the fact that yeah. the man had just said Christmas time. Right. Felix right. says Christmas because it's dubbed in. He right. says, what about Christmas? As if no one's thinking about Christmas, but Christmas was just mentioned. And the fact that it is dubbed in just makes me wonder, why did they go through the extra effort to add that? I, I, my guess and is- No one needed it. Well, the, he, the wreath line is there. So maybe they thought, I, maybe, oh, Felix, maybe Felix said oh. Christmas and it got, the audio was bad. Or he said the wreath line and they realized right. why do people need to know why we're talking about a wreath? Right. Got it. It's the the way he says Christmas, the, the inflection is yes, it is weird. Yeah. It's weird because Christmas was just mentioned. It's out of context. I mean, it's like he's it's like he's saying it without having heard that's what I'm saying. There. Exactly. But in fact, that is the problem, is that he's recording the line exactly totally on a different day. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I uh, see your point. The best part of the scene is when Murray rings the doorbell <laughs> multiple times without looking at the door and realizes, not realizing there's no door there. And with Oscar feel like staring at him yes, yes. through the doorway. It's really now, a funny that thing. That is pushing it a bit, even from Murray. It's one of, so, one of those points. He's like a Homer Simpson, like, can he be that I, dumb? I, yeah, it doesn't bother me because it's so funny. And but it's a hilarious visual. Yeah. And at least they show Murray looking around, like trying to yes. ignore the door. Yes. So they do, right. they make some effort to, to make it, make it plausible. Yeah. Yes. But, and he plays it so brilliant. Yeah. So nonchalantly. So now hey, feel, yeah. wait a minute, before uh, two more things about the situation in the building right now. Oh yeah. First of all, taking away doors. Is that a, I mean, no, I, 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 do, I, I do not put anything past slumlords, but, this kid—that doesn't sound like something you'd make this up. This is that, a Park Avenue apartment. This is all—it's right. all ridiculous. Right. right. There's no no but heat. Is, that's kind of a slumlord tactic. Yes, I don't, and yeah. probably illegal, even yeah. in the seventies. I, I would hope so. Yes. yes. Um, but it's something you would do for like squatters or something like you perhaps get away with taking a door from someone who legally is entitled to live there. Of course. Um, but the the other thing is with Murray coming and going and. Stuff that's about to happen later. It's like people are walking those eleven floors a lot. <laughs> oh, that's true. Well, oh yeah, I guess. Well, unless the elevator was fixed, right? And where the doormat? Well, well, for the next scene, like, did he fire the doorman too? You know, it's funny. Now that you mentioned, I never thought of this before, but yes, we know there are references to doorman. Yes, like looking out the window. We see a doorman in the credits. Really? Oh, in the credits. But there has never been in an episode an appearance in a scene by the doorman of their building. So they've never had a scene with the doorman. Right. Yeah. We, we've kind of never seen a doorman if, unless you want to. But why would we? Scene. Cause there's never a scene in the lobby. I know. It's interesting. But this isn't uh, Ro <laughs> uh, Rhoda. <laughs> oh, is there a prominent doorman? In Rhoda? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Lorenzo music plays Carlton, the oh. doorman. Isn't that Rhoda? I don't remember. Or the Jeffersons, where you had the doorman was a character. You're right. You know, I'm, I, I was just pointing that out. But the, that I never occurred to me that a doorman is part of the greater Odd Couple universe, but not really in any, does not feature in any of the shows. Right. Unless, yeah. I'm, unless I am forgetting. Carl, no, there's no doorman. I mean, we know there's doorman in the building, but we've never seen the doorman, which is not unusual. But it doesn't strike okay. me as something we should see. Uh, 
Felix is in the living room. He's cold and he's exhausted. He's sitting on the couch. He's he's up to play guard against the fact there's no door. He's watching a cooking show on TV. Oscar comes out in that same getup with the boxing glove and says, changing of the guard. Felix goes to the bedroom. Oscar gets on the couch, goes to sleep. But- oh, that's why. Okay, so I was confused of why, what the changing of the guard thing was about. Like, what was this the warmer room or something? But you're right. It's like they're they're making sure someone's in the living room to to keep robbers away yep uh the camera zooms in on the rear window of the living room and the lights change to indicate a passage of time from night to morning then the camera zooms back out and we see oscar lying on the floor the tv is gone the couch is gone the knickknacks on the curio cabinet in the back are gone Felix comes out groggily in his robe. He notices Oscar uh, on the floor and that the place has been robbed. He honks and he asks Oscar what happened. Oscar says, what happened with what? Felix says, where's our furniture? Where's our TV set? Oscar looks around and says, wow, you missed one payment. Which, of course, implies that this was a repo. These were things that repossessed and not that they were robbed. Um, it also suggests that the, he really was having these on the payment plan. I always found that joke a little I, weird. I guess it's supposed to show that Oscar doesn't know what's happening, but right, I, right. I never thought that it's was a little joke. dumb for Oscar. Yeah. But so I guess so much for their changing the guard. Right. Plan. Yes. Um, also, how do the robbers get up to the 11th well, floor? Well, that's my point. And get the furniture down. Right. That? Exactly. Yeah. That doesn't. And, and, why, and so <laughs> does this mean there's no doorman? Because the doorman, Maybe. how are they getting strike? Okay, it's all a little silly. Um, I think unless, in this episode, there is no doorman reference. So it's possible they they just kind of want to conveniently forget about any doorman. Well, I know, but forget the reference. There's doorman in the building. That's a yeah, fact. In general. So either they were fired by Lovelace, <laughs> or they're really bad at their job, or the robber. And how do the robbers know there's no doors, by the way? <laughs> It's not like I know the 70s in New York were yeah. bad. It's not like on Park but Avenue. That was, there's always that, people. That's like a master criminal stroke to just like know that there's an apartment up there. <laughs> exactly. And it, the, this area of New York was not unsafe in the 70s. So it's all silly. Uh, so now we see another snowy traffic snarled scene of New York. Cars are honking. We see Oscar pouring tea in the kitchen. The apartment tenants are back in the living room. They're all complaining as Felix tries to quiet them down. He says, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a zoo. Miriam says, Felix, they've taken away all our doors. We can't live without doors. Felix says, we're living without furniture. We're living without furniture. Miriam says, this is not a, there's not a single door in the entire building. A lot of us has been robbed. What are the doormen? Now, I, oh, I wrote here. What are the doormen doing? Where are they laid off? Hmm. We do see that the apartment across the way, 1103, which was noticeable before, there was a door there, mm-hmm. has no door now. So they did a good job. Oh. Removing okay. that and not missing that continuity. Error. By the way, uh, that reminded me seeing that 1103 that, uh, yeah, another thing I meant to look up, uh, but I didn't. Uh, I, I, I wanted, there have been other references to what the, either their apartment number or what floor they're on. Well, if the- we can, if we can prove that they were always on the 11th floor going back to season two, that's another piece of evidence that they are still in the 10.9 well again. i don't believe we have to prove that anymore by the way 
Uh, the episode that's mo- isn't in the in the. But it is an interesting consistent. It's an interesting consistency issue. Whether well, when they're, they're when they're guard, when they're auxiliary police officers. Oh right! Isn't he oh, saying? Isn't that eleventh floor? Where, all right, that's where I need to look. Okay, and also I think with Grandpa, where they specify, I think they specify what floor he's on the ledge of. Felix says the police are on it. They're going to find everything. Believe me, Miriam says you told us you were going to handle Mister Lovelace. Lovelace. Felix says, and I am. I'm going down there right now. I'm going to turn, tear that man limb from limb. At this point, Lovelace walks into the apartment, and that's where we'll pick up the next clip. Tenants, I have an announcement. After much consideration, management has decided to settle the strike. Give you your doors back and turn the heat back on. There will be no rent increase. But nobody gets any of those things unless Felix Unger moves out of this building. fast enough for you. Oh, come on, Phil. I'm sorry, I yelled hooray, hooray. It's one of those involuntary things. Where are you going to go? I don't know. Where do martyrs go? <laughs> Somewhere in this heartless city, there must be a lowly bed for me. Room and bath, buck and a half. Oh, no, please. Don't do that. You can't make me feel guilty. You walked into this with your eyes wide open. I said, you don't get involved. You'll be sorry. Didn't I tell you so? Oscar, all those times you went to the track and I told you not to go because you couldn't afford to lose. And you came back dead broke and you got those threatening letters from Blanche's lawyer. Did I ever once say to you, I told you so? Yeah, always. I didn't let you go to jail, did I? I lent you the money, didn't I? It's money I'll never see again, that's for sure. Yeah, but that's nothing. It's easy to lend money, but there's nothing I can do about this. No, no, of course not. What is expected of a friend? Nothing. You're a lucky man, Oscar. You're getting rid of Felix and it's not even on your head. Lovelace is doing your dirty work for you. Ah, uh, talk all you want. Not gonna make me feel guilty because it's not my fault. Nothing I can do about it. Look down, look down. Mr. Lovelace, trying to get him to sleep. <laughs> You're Madison, right? Yeah. And never forget a tenant. Your room with that troublemaker, Unger. Yeah. yeah. Remember him? Oh, come on, aren't you being a little harsh with Felix? No. He stirs up the other tenants. And he shouted at my geraniums. So he gets carried away. He should get carried away in a basket. Any man who wipes his shoes before going outside. So he likes clean. That's no reason to throw a man out without a minute's notice, is it? I mean, look, I'll tell you the truth. 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. I'll level with you. See, I've been waiting for years to get rid of him myself, but not like this. Why don't we give him a couple of months, maybe to find someplace else, or maybe he'll even go back with his wife, see? He'll be gone and we'll all be happy. Well, the gang and I will be happy only if he's gone by tonight. Wait a minute. I came down here to work this out reasonably. You gotta give a little. No, you, you don't understand. I'm the manager. What I say goes. And the next thing that goes may be you. Hey, you're loony, Lovelace. You know that? You treat people like they're plants and plants like they're people. Glad they weren't awake to hear that. <laughs> yeah, well, Felix and I are staying. What do you think of that? The other tenants aren't going to like it because no one gets heat or doors until he's gone. Your nice neighbors are going to turn into an angry mob. Yeah, well, we're going to stay and that's that. Yeah. Boo! Don't sh everybody up! Rise and charge! Drop your roots and grab your fur! Everybody! That's an expected mother! So in the beginning of the scene, Oscar's sitting down, saying nothing as the other tenants cheer when Lovelace talks about all the things they're getting back. And then Oscar cheers when Lovelace kicks out Felix. We see Felix packing. Oscar seems to be helping Felix, and he brings in two really ugly statues. Did you notice these? Uh, I did not look carefully. I'm not getting a good look to them. but yeah. They're like jade Asian statues of men holding sticks like a <laughs> asian man and then there's a uh, giant head statue it's really interesting to go back and see if they ever show up and feel like this room which i presume is where they're supposed to be they're really weird yeah. pieces of art um in lovelace's office uh he's talking to the plants and asking oscar not to yell at them and then oscar when he says boo and he's yelling he's yelling <laughs> at the plant it's a funny scene um before you go on the song that felix is singing off off camera to make oscar feel guilty is a lonesome road the lonesome road which is a song a a, a modern song written in the style of a negro in what's called the negro spiritual uh in that genre but uh, written in the 1920s so I, I don't know if that's public domain but they let that one slide by and then um lovelace is singing something Oh, yeah. Some good night song. Oh, the, he's singing like the Bromzilla. Da, 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 da. What is it? Bromzilla? Broms <laughs> Bromzilla. Wow, that's I got to use that in some. What did you say? Joke. Brahms's lullaby. It's called the oh. Brahms lullaby. Oh, of course. Yes. People have set different words to that, but the tune is public domain. Um, the I like I really about Oscar's jumping up and down, being the only one cheering. Felix is uh, um, getting kicked out. Yes, um, you know it's it it's it, it, it's it seems cruel in the moment, but I really do appreciate how it, the through line. I just you know take a moment to consider like one through line, one constant through the entire series uh, is as. As 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 good as they are at getting along most of the time, Oscar still is thrilled at any prospect of Felix moving out without him having to be involved. He wants to do it without well, feeling guilty. Well, in this case, yes, and that that line that Felix says about "it's not on your head" is a callback to the to the original play and movie, which introduced the line "let it be on your head," which comes up and they use in season one a lot. Uh, 
to when other in other instances where Austria has tried to kick him out. So there's this is a lot of continuity, and it, all the way up to the last episode, as we'll see in a big payoff, uh, where this really has been Oscar's through line, his motivation, his in acting class you call the super objective. The entire series is to somehow get rid of Felix without him being responsible. But in this case, without being responsible, well, I, mean, well, I think the whole, I think every. No, I think that's always a through line. Is him? He doesn't want it to do it where he's doing it yeah. by just throwing him out. He wants well, a reason. He has well reason. He has to have a reason. Yeah. Right, has to have a reason. Yeah. Uh, next scene, we're back in the living room. Felix says, "You really told him off." Oscar says, "You know I did." Felix says, "You lost your temper." Oscar says, "Yes, sir." Felix laughs. That's great. You woke up his flowers, though, huh? Oscar says, "Yes, sir." Felix says, "Oh, you you should have done that." Oscar says, "Well, he got me mad. The important thing is you're staying anyway." Felix says, oh, this is just, and then he grabs Oscar by both arms and says, your top drawer in my chiffonier. It's a tall dress of drawers, a chiffonier, chiffonier. Chiffonier. I don't, it seems like he's a, that's a callback to something. I don't get it. I have not noticed the word chiffonier being said in the show so far. But, and but, Oscar laughs, but it doesn't, it didn't it feel like a reference? Uh, not necessarily, but um I mean, I get what you're saying is it's kind of odd. It, the tone the of whole, it. He I says the whole joke is. Uh, it is a top drawer, of course, is proverbial to say someone or something is top drawer. But for Felix to add the chiffonier is a very classy Felix touch. But it's, it's the way he says it. He says in my chiffonier. Chiff how do what's the pronounce? <laughs> I don't even know. OK, anyway, he says yeah. it as if they were talking about chiffonniers before. Mm. All right. Uh, Felix says, I'm going to tell the tenants. Oscar says, no, 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 no. I wouldn't do it if I were you. Felix says, why? Oscar says, well, Felix, it's going to be very difficult for you to talk with their fists in your mouth. Felix says, what do you mean? Oscar says, well, nothing has changed. You stay. They don't get their doors. They don't get heat. They may get violent. Felix says, that big bully. Well, now he's going to find out the meaning of solidarity. We got wonderful people in this building. They're going to tally around, rally around me. Now we see an older woman appear in the, in the doorway. Felix says, you see... Felix says, you see, here's Mrs. Osgood. Hi. Mrs. Osgood says, get out. Get out while you have that ch the chance, Pinko. <laughs> now, Mrs. Osgood is not Mrs. Gossard, who I, I figured oh, may have been. Right. Um, she's played by Georgia Schmidt. She had many guest shots on TV, Bewitched, Star Trek, Wild Wild West, A Drama to Strain, the movie, Starskin Hutch. The Happy Hooker Goes to Washington, the movie. <laughs> that was a real movie, wasn't it? Fantasy Island, Flow, the Alice spinoff, WKRP, Lou Grant, Knight Rider, Hill Street Blues, among many others. The next scene, we see a table with a pile of boxes blocking the front door. Oscar asks Felix- oh, the doorway. He, the doorway, yes. It's, it's, still don't have yeah. the door. Oscar asks Felix if he thinks the mob will be attacked tonight. But this line is dubbed in, by the way. Felix says, it's quiet out there. Oscar says, yeah, too quiet. Felix says, I saw this scene in a movie once. It happened to Randolph Scott. Oscar says he didn't pay his rent. <laughs> okay. Randolph Scott is an old movie star who specialized in Westerns. Yes. So I take the joke to be that this is some kind of evoking some kind of Western shootout. Something. Right. That's the joke is Felix is describing a completely different situation than what they're <laughs> experiencing. Uh, okay. So now we're going to play the final scene of the show. Yes. Felix, it's me. Miriam? Yeah. This is a trick. Oh, come on. Will you? How, do, how do I know it's you, Miriam? I need proof. 
Remember the night in the tunnel of love and far right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, it's you. You come in. Come huh? underneath. Huh? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Watch your head. Oh. Miriam, what we do on a date is private business. <laughs> How would you like it if I told you? Please, will you knock it off? I just wanted to be with you. You've got an angry mob in this building. Oh, Miriam, you ran that gauntlet for me. All right, Andre, you've got one minute. Miriam, there's something I've got to tell you. Something happened in Baltimore. It didn't mean anything at all to me. I was lonely in a strange town. A man has needs, Miriam. Felix, this is not the time. You come out or we're coming in. No, you're not. in the freezing cold without doors. Let's beat him up. Oh, yeah. We're wasting time. Let's move their style. You take your hands off that. How can you people turn against Felix? Doesn't anybody here have a conscience? You, Mrs. Osgood, when one of your cats was missing, who went out on the rain and found it? Who almost caught pneumonia pulling it down from the tree? And you, Mrs. Gossett, when your daughter got married, why, the groom side of the family was so cheap they wouldn't kick in for anything? Who took the wedding pictures for nothing? Yeah, and they were nice, too. Uh, and you, Mr. Ralston, when you got that ulcer from that crazy job at the zoo, who cooked for you? Who taught you how to coddle an egg? And this week, when you needed a leader, who battered his brains out for you? Felix Unger. And now you're going to help this man to throw him out. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Where do you get off throwing our leader out of the building? Yeah, right. Let's beat him up. That's a good idea. But if you stand with them, you stand in the cold. This is an impasse. It's a case of an irresistible force meeting an immovable object. It would take the wisdom of Solomon to solve this. Hold it! I solved the case. Look, he showed up just like the cavalry. Yeah, you look at that bugle. <laughs> I went to every conglomerate, every big holding company, and I finally tracked down the owner of this building. And it's a big TV star. Oh, I better stay the chance. Meet Rodney Allen Rippey. Yeah. Uh -huh. I am Mr. Rippey's attorney. Which one of you is Lovelace? I am. Yes, well, Mr. Rippey has something to say to you. You're fired. <laughs> You'll get your severance pay in the mail. Please be off the premises by noon tomorrow. I'm... What am I going to tell the plants? They always know when I'm lying. <laughs> Mr. Rippey would like you to know that had he been aware of the situation sooner, he would have come into it sooner. Now, you're all going to get your doors back. There will be no rent increase, and you'll have free hamburgers for a month. <laughs> We finished our business here. Maybe we should turn this place into a condominium. Well, right triumphs over might after all. Come on, let's have some milk and cookies. No, 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 no. Let's take a walk around the block. I want to hear what happened in Baltimore with the oh. hickey and everything. 
I was sitting in the coffee shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This girl came up to join. She had the kitty. Long to see us, Mr. Lovelace? Yes. As you know, I'm leaving, but I've lost my political base in this period. <laughs> but before I go, I want you to know I'm sorry things got so far out of hand. Well, we're not angry, are we? I don't hold any grudges. They recovered our furniture. Let bygones be bygones. You're both happy? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay, gang. Kill! Kill! Kill him! <laughs> ah, it's just my little joke. Oh. <laughs> Okay, a couple things about this scene. So early in the scene, when Loveless comes in, there are Love people... Lovelace, stop trying to sell this Wild Wild West theory of yours. Lovelace comes in. Linda Lovelace comes in. <laughs> different, uh, same era, different... Uh, in the style. background are other tenants, who I first thought was a continuity error. They just disappeared, oh. but you actually see them walk away. It's very weird to me. You when did do notice. they walk away? In the middle of him talking, they just start to walk away. They just have to make way for the special guest star. I guess so. It's just weird that if you're in the I building. I notice other people there, which seem made sense. But right. There should be other. But, but then they walk why, away. Yeah. That was weird. It, it's was very weird. weird. Uh, and do you notice that um, uh, Ed Peck's character, when Murray says, did you hear? notice who he says he thinks the big celebrity is? I only heard it now because I'm listening to the sound so closely because we're doing audio. David Jansen. Right. Now, at the time, <laughs> David Jansen was indeed a huge TV star. I don't think many people remember David Jansen Day. Of course, he was a star of The Fugitive. And oh, right. at this point, he was on a show called Harry O. He died young, uh, I think from liver disease or something in the early 80s. Um, but he was a major TV star because of The Fugitive well, and Harry such O. Such a random, even for the 70s, even, even if he is a big star, like, why him? Right. Yes. <laughs> is that supposed to be funny? Also, is that, a, is that supposed to be funny? No, I think it's like, if someone said to me, a big TV star or big celebrity owns a building, I might splurt out a name. I might say, it's Ted Mark Dance. Harmon. Ted <laughs> Danson, sure, right. Uh, it's just um, interesting that they pick somebody who yeah. I bet modern, like, you know, if there's millennials watching The Odd Couple, they right, probably right. don't know who David Jansen no is. Idea. But if, he had, said, if he had said Lucille Ball or if he had said Dick Van Dyke, right. yeah. then I think people would know. But he just yeah. picked, like, the biggest person of the time <laughs> who most people don't remember today. First of all, are millennials watching The Odd Couple? Second, yes, um, some are. Well, in fact, uh, I met somebody, I can't remember uh, who it was, who, told, who I said, or we, I do an Odd Couple podcast, and they said, oh, my daughter is watching The Odd Couple. And our daughter's, I, I think, 17, 18, something. Wow. That's right. Millennials are old now. Um, uh, maybe that's not millennial, but younger people. But, yeah. <laughs> younger, right. Uh, well, that's encouraging. But maybe he meant the, uh, the latest. Reboot. No, they did not. Okay. I asked okay. that question. Um, uh, the David Jansen thing, though. Okay, so for, does it sound dubbed in? No, um, yeah, uh, um, and I think a little off. It sounds a little. I, I hear what you're saying. Oh. I don't think it's dubbed in. There's something about it. I agree with you. That's not fully natural. It makes me wonder if it's even like an ad lib. 
<laughs> I think it is. Yes, that, I bet it is. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. I think that makes right. more sense, right? Yeah, it makes he, more sense. He's yes. just into David Jansen for some reason. Yes, and he wants to get a little more screen time. <laughs> that too, right? Uh, so um, let's talk about. Oh, uh, there's wait. Yes. Uh, before I forget. Wait, yes. where, where, oh, oh, we need, we're still, there are two scenes here, Ted. You put the tag. Yes, on, I did. Yeah. I I'm, to, I'm about to, I'm about to, my thoughts. All right. Well, the, save the tag thoughts for a few minutes. Oh, I love, um, okay. We got to follow up on the Miriam saga here. Yes. So, uh, let's do that I, after. That's at the end. Keep your thoughts no, no, on the, that. Well, there, no, there is the, before the, the big interest when Miriam oh. is trying to get into the room. Get into the oh, that. Sorry. Yeah. When, I love how with the mob outside, this is like a very one of there are not many scenes like this show where they orchestrate this like an almost melodramatic climax that it's really it's actually I find it really almost meta, you know, uh, commentary when Felix says this is an impasse and they kind of build up the stakes like that almost, you know, very, uh, again, melodramatically. But with the crowd about to beat down the door, I love how Felix feels in that moment. He needs to confess to Miriam this little affair he had in Baltimore um, to give us uh, you know, more information on that. Uh, okay, now what? Okay, so let's talk about the major stars. Rodney Allen Rippey, another person who probably most people don't know today. <laughs> I only know of him because of this of commercial, yeah. because of the show. He yeah. was famous for doing ads for Jack in the Box, the hamburger chain, which I don't even think was in New York at this time. Mm. Uh, he was six in this episode, um, wow. and he did a lot of ads. Well, I have two of them. We'll play for for everybody. Um, a single from one of the ads, I think we'll hear that song, was released in 1973. Yeah. He was also in Blazing Saddles, and he guested in other TV shows such as Marcus Welby, Medical Center, Six Million Dollar Man, Police Story in Vegas. So, so he was. Did you notice if he's still active? He's still alive. Yes. Uh, I don't know if he's acting. He's or... like our age, a little over two years. Yeah, older. that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's let's play two. Let's play two ads from the from his heyday. Hi. Haven't I seen you on TV before? Yeah. What's your name? Rodney. Rodney what? Rodney Allen Rippy. What's that in front of you? A jumbo jack. A jumbo jack. From Jack in the Box. Did you ever get a bite out of it? It's too big to eat. You think you'll be able to get a bite now? Give it a try, Rodney. Tell us how you like it. I can't. I like So he was this adorable kid from 70s commercials. Why are you shaking your head? <laughs> Ted, I feel like the entire, our entire podcast has kind of been leading up to this moment, or if nothing else justifies it, it is for you to finally explain to me who the hell Ronnie Allen Rippey is. Do you now understand? <laughs> and I am more questions than before. Like, okay. those two commercials were so weird. I if you want to see you them. have to see them he's an adorable kid he's very natural i get that i get that okay that's it the first one like the guy is saying 
I already I've seen you on TV, so he already was. Yeah, this is probably a commercial oh, after okay. he I, did I, a year or two. But it like kind of sounds kind of creepy, like this man trying to force this little boy to eat this. Hamburger. It doesn't feel the man's off camera in the in <laughs> oh, the okay. show. It's just his voice. Okay. And the fact and that they actually have laughter at the end of the ad is interesting. Is there a laugh track in the ad? No, yeah. I think it's the crew from the oh, production okay. laughing when he does okay. when he like says he I can't see. talk because he's okay. got that. And I think oh, they I decided to keep it in the ad. Right now, what and the song is from what the song? So there was a it was about. yeah it's a it's a jingle for Jack in the Box that makes life a little easier by going to Jack in the Box. Crank up, load up the kids, crank up the car, go to Jack in the Box, make life Got easier. It. And I believe that song was released as a single. And actually, I, from what I read, he's the youngest person ever to have charted on Billboard. It was like a it was a low ranking, a high ranking, like 112. But at the it time, does not sound like such a catchy tune. Uh, it's it is. <laughs> It's a catchy tune. I think that ad okay. makes it a little hard to listen to. Yeah. But he became this this very popular kind of like Clara Peller was in the Wendy's ads. Oh right. right. But but a little you know the opposite end of that. Um, and then he just became. And I again, I think Jack in the Box is mainly a West Coast chain. So I think there's a divide here. I think maybe I'm wrong at the 70s, but I just oh, right. Jack, well, this is Cal. We are filming this in California. California, right? Um, and then he just he became. You know, a big enough celebrity that he just started to be on other shows. I think it's kind of, uh, you know, it's it's also a big question, like how? So why him? Why is why are they bringing him uh, into mean, this episode? Because he was popular at the time, and yeah. he was on shows, and I guess they thought yeah. it was like a fun way to get some. I mean, it is ratings I, or attention. I, I, yeah, I mean, I like the plot twist. I like that you know that that they've built up to this, and um, and I like that he's got that. It's like a it's like when, he, it's like he's already this businessman at you know at age six because he's a star, and that that becomes an issue with these child stars, like what to do with all the money they earn, and like the conservatorship and all that, you know. But in this case, he seems like calling the shots. So that's interesting. Um, but I, I have a feeling like it's someone like his agent, Rodney Allen Ripper's agent, is trying to place him in more yeah. media and get him sure. On. And so is going to ABC. It's like find a place to put that him could on be. one of your shows. And they kind of worked around it to gimmick. Maybe they had the script. Maybe they didn't know who was going to be the special guest star, and they put him in it. That's right. Could be that way too. Um, um, I like that they also. It, <laughs> It's kind of like a sat. It's very uh, capitalism satire when uh, he says tax shelters, right? <laughs> and we should have turned this place it. into a condominium. Into a condominium, which is pretty prophetic when you think about it, right? Because that's that is what happened. <laughs> but this episode, you know, many of the episodes of this show we've talked about don't feel very dated, even though it's in the seventies, because there's not a ton of references. You know, Bobby Riggs. There's certain episodes where the, there are people who are very famous of, of its era. Yeah, Paul Williams, yeah. Rodney Allen Rippey, David Jansen reference, um, <laughs> Leif Garrett. Well, Leif Garrett, well, yeah, at the time. Well, he wasn't famous for being Leif Garrett. No, but he was, but him being on the show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit. And um, and Paul Williams, we said. And this is one of those episodes where the payoff today, anyone to anyone who's discovering right, the right. show as a young person, they're going to have to Google him and figure out who he is. Yeah. Right, right. If it was Gary Coleman, like if this was a few years later, it's Gary Coleman. I think people would know right. that, but it's not. Well, it is interesting that yeah, he Ronnie Alberta seems to be paving the way for this phenomenon in the seventies, 
80s Hollywood of the delightful African-American child. And do you know the uh, other connection to that on this show? Webster? Yes. Oh, no. Yes. 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 Oh, well, where did we have a connection? Oh. You said we have a Webster connection? We do. Show? I forgot. Alex Karras played the father in Webster. <gasps> right. It all comes back. Yeah. Um, and our, the, the lawyer here is played by our, our old friend Peter Hobbs, making his fourth and final appearance. Yes. Always plays the authority figure of some kind. Yeah. Dodgy um, official. Uh, let's see. So um, the tag, the tag is weird. Tag. So the tag, this is a, this man is very petty and very destructive. And then and, at and the end, terrible to them. Yeah. They're just, Oh, bygones be bygones. And they shake hands, <laughs> which feels like Tony Randall and Jack Klugman thanking Victor Bono for being in the show. Yeah. It's weird. I, I do not. I am. A, the tag is irritating because I don't believe there's reason for this magnanimity. Yeah. It just feels uh, like I would not accept his apology. I would not shake his hand and I right. would say, uh, no, you've been right. a jerk and I do not accept. Well, it kind of it reveals how much that for the show, for Gary Marshall and the team, Victor Bono is the real guest star of this episode and they want to give him a final, they want to give him a, a final scene uh, because he's great and they can do more with him. So, um, I I agree. It's I think up until the hand, I'm okay with it up until the handshake, where that and they have no. It's like the the the, the last gag is the him calling on the plants to <laughs> to sick him, you know, uh, sick his plants on on Felix and Oscar, and then says, "Oh, that's just my kidding." And then they just then they just smile and laugh and have a handshake. So they kind of have no end for that. But I what I love about that scene though, do you notice when he says he says early on up. I've lost my political base. Yes. Yep. And there's one person. Who yes. Yes. Like yeah. I, I'm convinced that's a Watergate joke because we're in late 1974. Oh, Nixon right. resigned in August of 74. So, and he's a Nixonian kind of figure. So, well, what, also the joke was for one person. But the problem with the with the Sikkim joke or get him yeah. is before that he is not self aware of the fact that he's right. acting like talking to plants, and now all of a sudden he is. Yeah, yeah. So I don't accept. I find the the tag uh, frustrating for that. It's reason. funny how with Victor Bono, like this, this is a case of where I think, as written, the role is just a, a, a villainous landlord. But by casting Victor Bono, they added this quirk with the. They make so much of the plants, even though it's not essential to the plot. But they because he's a kook, Victor Bono, <laughs> that makes the gives the character something goofy and softens the edge uh, to his as what you're emphasizing uh i i enjoy this episode enough it's not a favorite but i don't turn it off there's just plenty of laughs it's a it's as, as absurd as the whole story is it is a story and there's a winning you know there's a there's a as you said there's like a build-up to an event and there is a surprise reveal and a solution and the bad guy loses and and so i give it three and a half out of five marie's because i always enjoy it when i watch it but it's not an episode I would go to if I wanted to like watch my favorite odd couple right, episodes. Right. But no, and me neither. As I said, like I could barely remember uh, the plot, the details of the plot. Um, but I was, I was delightfully, uh, I was pleasantly surprised, and uh, I, uh, I'd give it a four. I think uh, I'm even more um, uh, sympathetic to 
all the effort that goes into writing this kind of plot for this episode. Um, and I think the things that are dated about it actually, in this case, make me like it more. Like this is a great example of of very specific '70s references uh, that um, make it a curiosity in a way that other shows aren't, other episodes are not. And um, I got, I also like the whole idea of the rent strike. I mean, you know, dealing with it's a very New York episode. This is a very you know like tenants in a building. And uh, like the patrol, like the civilian patrol, uh, it's a touches on New York crime and all that. So it, it feels like a very, a very New York centric episode, which I appreciate. Well, I you may not have been following this, but I live in a doorman building, and last week there almost was a strike. There's right? almost well, I don't. Yeah, there was a there was the strike talks came down to the last day or two. Um, all right. They didn't well, take your door off, though, right? No, they didn't take my door, and the strike was averted. Um, if you have any feedback for us or questions, comments, uh, you can email us at 1049pod at gmail.com. And if you'd be kind enough to leave us a positive review on iTunes, that's always great. Uh, Garrett, drop your roots and grab your ferns. Garrett? <laughs> Hello? I'm, speech I'm speechless today. Oh. I don't. Um, you've never not had a retort <laughs> all right then i'm gonna say goodbye yeah um i'll get back to you next week on that one okay great okay but goodbye bye. Bye.